Welcome to the Paralegal Voice, where you hear the latest issues and trends in the world of paralegals and legal assistance by two of the best-known paralegals in the industry, Vicki Voison and Linda Venny. Each of them paralegals for over 20 years and both dedicated to helping legal professionals reach their goals. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hi, welcome to the Paralegal Voice. Thanks for joining us for our monthly podcast here on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Lynn DeVenny, a North Carolina State Bar Certified Paralegal employed by a small civil rights firm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Elliot, Pishko, and Morgan. I also blog for paralegals and the attorneys who want to get to know them better at practicalparalegalism.com. And I'm Vicki Voison, a now advanced certified paralegal calling in from Charlevoix, Michigan, where I work as a paralegal at Running Wise and Ford. I call myself the Paralegal Mentor and publish a weekly e-zine titled Paralegal Strategies, available at paralegalmentor.com. The goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and share with you our thoughts about leading trends, significant developments, and resources that we think you'll find helpful in your careers and your everyday jobs. We'll also have guests on the program to help us explore timely topics. And of course, we have sponsors. Today, we welcome our sponsor, Terrace. That's T-E-R-I-S. Terrace offers a full suite of litigation support services. Joining us today is Giovanni Masucci. Giovanni is a senior digital forensic examiner and the CEO and president of National Digital Forensics, Inc. in Raleigh, North Carolina. National Digital Forensics provides computer, cell phone, network forensics, including e-discovery and litigation support, as well as consulting services for law firms, governmental agencies, and law enforcement. Giovanni has been a very popular and informative speaker at several paralegal CLEs, including for the North Carolina Advocates for Justice, the North Carolina Bar Association, and the North Carolina Paralegal Association, where I was fortunate enough to hear him speak. Giovanni, welcome to the Paralegal Voice. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Giovanni, to kick off the program, tell us a bit about your career path, basically how you entered the field of digital forensics and how you started your business. Sure, absolutely. Um, I've always been fascinated with investigations, and as a child, I always wanted to be, for some reason, an IRS agent because I thought that was really cool. But um, I I got into the technology field in in sales and consulting, and um, I was working for a large consulting company here in Raleigh, and a lot of the services that they were offering were in security, IT security services to government and um, corporations. And so I, I started, I've always followed technology trends and started to see where we were putting in all these technology services in, into government agencies and corporations. But there was this lack of what happens when there's an incident where they need to gather evidence and actually utilize it for court. That's what I saw that it needed to be needed. And I started researching it and saw that there were huge gaps and voids in that sector. Um, so I decided that, okay, this is, a, and I was already going to school for, um, I have a background in counterintelligence. So um, I was already looking at computers anyways, but it was more looking at hard, hardware items when we were doing uh, research on a computer and looking for it. Um, so I decided to resign from the company I was working for and move forward into the field and, and started my own company. Um, I went forward in this venture. 
and uh, started putting my th- myself through some certification programs, going to uh, some government schools, and was fortunate enough to keep going, and um, um, uh, it was well-received by the community out there. Giovanni, you're the only person I've ever known who wanted to be an IRS agent when you grew up. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I don't um, know why. It just stuck in my head. Uh, I was always fascinated by that, by them. <laughs> um, a lot of our listeners are, are probably going to want to know, but um, exactly what is digital forensics? A couple of different ways I can explain it, and, and I'll say it as this. Basically, digital forensics is the recovery of any type of electronic data. And what I mean is it's following any type of scientific, well, a proposed sci- scientific process methodology that data is recovered and can be validated, whether it be from a computer, cell phone, any type of digital evidence, or any item that might contain digital data that could be potentially utilized in a court of law as evidence. So basically, the recovery of any data from any electronic, digital, or optical media that's retrievable through process-oriented analysis techniques. Uh, with the intent of recovering uh, potential legal evidence that can be utilized. Giovanni, what are some examples of different types of digital evidence and the types of devices that contain digital evidence? Sure. I mean, there's so many different types of evidence out there that that we see that paralegals and attorneys are, are looking for. For instance, emails. We can recover emails and chat sessions and pictures and text messages, documents, and all sorts of videos. Um, Types of corresponding or correlating uh, devices would be like your Blackberries and your iPods, uh, cell phones and computers, even your Xbox gaming systems um, and GPS systems. Um, now we've been getting into more and more police car video and camera security camera systems. And now you have like uh, another example, like the new Kindles that are out uh, for reading books. Uh, Giovanni, since I uh, last heard you talk, I have not looked at our PlayStation or my GPS tracker in quite the same light. <laughs> uh, look at the Morris Tattletales. Um, but what are some of the most uh, overlooked sources of digital evidence? Well, what we're seeing out there is the, the biggest thing that's been overlooked are USB devices. And what I mean by that is your thumb drives, um, your external drives, any type of portable media player, like I mentioned, an iPod. And then there's the novelty items. So like now they're creating these USB devices that look like sushi, or um, there's even ones that it's a Barbie and the head comes off and there's a USB device that's hidden. Um, then you have, you have um, uh, items such as your picture frame that are USB devices. Those are common things that are, are, are much indeed overlooked. Wow, I, I hadn't thought of that, Giovanni, and I haven't seen any USB devices that are hidden. I'm going to have to look <laughs> for those. Are they easy to find? Um, Yes and no, depending on, like, if we go to the crime scene, one of the things we do is we train law enforcement how to identify digital evidence at a crime scene. Okay. I'll put out these types of covert devices out there, including cufflinks that, have US, that are USB devices. And 9 out of 10 get missed. And not by any fault of their own, it's because that's why they're bringing us on to do this training so they have an awareness. With the rapid evolution of technology, what are some of the newest sources of digital evidence? Right now, uh, what we're seeing a lot more of now is we're being asked to look at GPS units. And a cell phone has a GPS tracking in it. But aside from that, we're looking at car GPS units, ones that are mounted in the car and ones that are already installed in the vehicle's factory, from the factory. We've been asked 
lately, as of late, I would say in the last six months, more and more cases um, to do triangulation where they want location of where the, um, the vehicle may have been and we have to triangulate the towers, uh, which is a lot more difficult. It's a whole new area that we're now covering. Um, but GPS is going to be growing, going to be growing that area. Uh, Giovanni, what types of cases um, often contain digital evidence, especially the kinds of cases that you work on? Sure. One of the most popular ones is divorce cases. We're always, we're always asked to look for, uh, and, and if they don't bring it up, we bring it up, social networking sites. So oh, we're yeah. looking for Facebook evidence. We're looking for MySpace. Uh, we're looking for adult dating sites. Um, that's been really popular. Then, of course, the emails, people using webmail. So we're, we're, we're asked to recover webmail um, on divorce cases. Second of all would be intellectual property theft cases. Um, and where somebody has taken a USB device, or they're emailing intellectual property to their, their personal email address. Um, and this, most of the time, it's an employee or former employer, former employee that's doing it. Giovanni, how can paralegals help identify digital evidence in cases they're working on? Well, first of all, they need to ask a lot of questions. Um, they need to know the type of case it is. And if there's already digital evidence existing and been identified on this case, and if there is, that may lead to questions that they need to ask for additional items, but also researching similar type cases. Um, then, of course, um, consulting with an outside digital forensics firm or an expert. Um, and then again, asking questions, you know, is it a civil or criminal case? And from that, that point on, that can lead into more questions on, well, if it's, if it's a divorce case, if it's a labor issue case, there's certain types of evidence that may come into play that they need to ask about, whether it be emails, USB devices, or any type of communication that may be involved in that case. You had a really good um, checklist in your CLE materials um, that addressed some of the kinds of digital issues and questions. Um, it's kind of a checklist of things that legal professionals needed to consider when the firm initially gets the case. Um, could you share some of those with us, just a couple of them? Absolutely. I, I feel it is so important that paralegals need to ask the questions because as a forensic examiner, I'm going to ask a lot of questions because I can't help help the, uh, the paralegal, the attorney on the case, move forward in what we have to do. So one of the big things is we need to know, and what they need to ask their client as well, okay, you need to know the type of case. For example, is it cyber stalking, computer misuse, embezzlement, intellectual property theft, et cetera? Then who are the parties involved? You know, what happened? What was discovered? You know, what actions were taken and by whom? Is it civil or criminal? Is it an internal or external investigation? You need to know if there's subpoenas, warrants, or court orders. How many custodians there are in the case? If there's computers involved, how many are there? What types of computers? Um, we get these questions at, ask that, you know, we need to do an image of a hard drive or hard drives. But I, in turn, come back and I say, well, what type of hard drive? What type of computer? How large of a hard drive is it? You know, we need to know these type of questions in order to we bring the right tools on site. We have the necessary information that we can perform our analysis correctly. Um, so I put a list of questions that you heard me speak on. Uh, there's probably about 40 different questions. And um, I usually send these out to the paralegal once they start at engaging us. 
Giovanni, tell our listeners about the basic steps for formulating an e-discovery plan. Well, first of all, paralegals should know the e-discovery reference model. That would be a great start. And what I mean by that is there's a, there's a basic methodology and reference model out there that says, okay, first you have your information management, then you're identifying, you're preserving, you're collecting, you're processing, reviewing, analysis, and then your production. But first of all, you really also have to have, you know, what is the strategy and what are you trying to prove on the case, okay? Where do you want, it, where do you want the end game to be, okay? You, the attorney knows that. He's going to explain it to you. So you're going to formulate this plan. So you have to make sure that you're collaborating with your clients, your IT department, the general counsel, HR, outside digital forensic company, forensic company if necessary, and any other third-party uh, vendors. So basically following, you know, what is the preservation of relevant information? And then designation of what custodians uh, are identifiable that you need to pull the documents from, what types of folders, what access, how you're going to call the records in the procedures. Um, there's so much information that has to be tied in to give you a good overview. Um, what role will a digital forensic company uh, take in the case, and how, how do we as legal staffers and legal professionals decide when we need outside assistance? Well, first of all, it, also, it depends on the case. Is there a court order on the case? Is, there, is it a criminal case or civil case? Is it a case where chain of custody has to be uh, followed? In those instances, we usually get called in to handle that. We get called in a large collections or even small collections. Um, it just depends on, you know, does the opposing counsel have a forensic examiner? Is there a warrant involved? Um, is there a need to preserve the metadata by an expert? will also not only collect that data, but also be able to testify on it, whether in court or by affidavit, okay? Um, what we're seeing, though, is a lot of these, these e-discovery cases that are, that are being brought in litigation into the courts in the big cities, judges are now saying, hey, where is the chain of custody? You brought in the e-discovery company, but we don't see the metadata. We don't see the chain of custody. You need to go out there and have an expert do this work. We want to see it. So more than more than times than often now, we're getting hired by e-discovery companies to go ahead and collect that information so then we can go ahead and, and testify in court on it. What is our role? Role is usually as a consultant, as an expert, and sometimes everything else in between. Um, it's a constant education to the paralegal, to the attorney involved on the case, and to the client and others that are involved on the case. We're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll be joined by Giovanni Masucci. Terris understands the unique demands during litigation. Our clients tell us they are spending less time and money through all phases of legal case management with the customized approach of Terris. We are a nationally recognized litigation service provider with offices in eight cities, working with law firms and in-house corporate legal groups to provide custom solutions within your budget. Terrace can help. For more information, please call 877-99-TERRACE or visit www.terrace.com. NALA means professional. NALA offers classroom and web-based continuing education and professional development for all paralegals. 
And Nala's certified paralegal credential has been a gold standard of professionalism for over 30 years. More than 15,000 paralegals have this certification, and nearly 2,000 have achieved the demanding advanced certified paralegal. Nala works actively with others in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. See more about why Nala means professional at www.nala.org. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Vicki Voison with my co-host Linda Venny and today's guest Giovanni Masucci, a senior digital forensic examiner and the CEO president of National Digital Forensics Incorporated. Giovanni, for our listeners who are interested in digital forensics careers and litigation, what kinds of training, education, and experience should they consider, uh, specifically if they're uh, currently students? What majors or degrees do you recommend for those who want to work on the digital aspect side of cases? Great. Well, first of all, the field of digital forensics is still evolving. There's, and with all the changes in litigation, just in cases, in general cases involving digital evidence, paralegal support staff, legal admins need to stay on top of what's happening to better assist on their cases. So what, I, what I've been telling a lot of students and, and paralegals that are in the industry that they're definitely going to have to need, need to know things about electronic uh, uh, evidence. So there are, there are, there are uh, companies out there that offer this, and there's, uh, right now I know of two major companies that are offering certification in electronic discovery, which also gives you an overview of digital forensics. One of them, Crawl on Track. Uh, the other one um, is LexisNexis. Both have excellent certification courses, and, and I tell my paralegals that I deal with, I said, you should get those certifications. I don't run into to anyone yet as of that has actually been, um, had some major certifications in, in that field as an e-discovery expert. Yes, um, I have run into the ones that have gotten concordance um, and summation um, and um, IMAP certification, which is great because you have to have that. If you're dealing with those tools in your law firms, I believe it's important to know the tool that you're using. Um, as far as uh, forensics go, computer forensics go, basic courses, a lot of the community colleges are now offering one-year certificate programs in, in computer forensics and e-discovery. I think that's an asset for uh, paralegals to get involved in and take some night classes or even taking CLEs. I myself have taken CLEs because I want to know what attorneys and paralegals are experiencing on the other side. So what I do is I'll go and take CLEs that are, that are, that are involving uh, digital forensics in litigation, in commercial litigation, and just e-discovery, just so I know what's happening on your side. Um, and just like you need to know what I'm doing on my side uh, as far as the work that I'm doing and the consulting work that I'm doing when I'm working with you. If you're a student and want to know more about digital side of cases, uh, like I said, take a 10 CLE course is very important you know, bringing guest speakers to your community college or your university. I always encourage that. I tell students when I meet them, tell your instructors, tell your deans, have them contact me. I'd be more than happy to come in and talk. And it's that way with a lot of forensic companies. They're more than happy to come in and teach students. I think that's great information. I'm contacting my local community college as soon as we get finished with this podcast. Great, great. Um, 
Where can our listeners get more information about digital forensics and evidence, such as any recommended publications or online resources? Or do you have any favorite professional blogs that you'd recommend that they follow and add to their RSS reader? I do. There's a, there's so many out there, and I'm constantly looking at new ones, you know, I, Twitter and so on. Um, here's, a, here's a list that I can recommend to, to your listeners. Evidence Technology Magazine, great new magazine that's out there. Uh, Digital Forensic Investigator. Then there's another magazine called Forensic Magazine. Uh, Forensic Focus Blog. Um, on Track, I mentioned them for doing e-discovery certification. They also have, you get linked up with them, and they do um, case updates, case precedents that come out about once a month. Great to look at that. So you can do some comparison, also take some notes off of that. And, of course, you guys, Legal Talk, Paralegal Voice, excellent, um, and I appreciate that. Um, also, for GPS evidence, um, there is a blog called GPS Evidence Issues by David Schumann. Phenomenal. Uh, GPS is the upcoming technology, and uh, like I said earlier, we're, getting, we're seeing more and more of that on those type of cases coming in. Also, Electronic Discovery and Evidence by Michael Arkfield. That's a blog. And, of course, you can always look at our website because uh, we do a lot of RSS feeds we feed into, uh, and that's www.natldf.com. Thank you, Giovanni. One quick program note. We'd like to suggest that you subscribe to The Paralegal Voice. The price is right. It's free. And you can do that by either going to Legal Talk Network at LegalTalkNetwork.com or subscribe to the program in the podcast directory of iTunes. When you do that, you'll receive each new edition automatically, and you won't have to search for it. Giovanni, thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. If any of our listeners would like to reach you, uh, how can they do that? There's, there's, I'll give you three different ways. And I, again, I thank you both for having me on as well. I really appreciate it. Um, they can reach me at 919-961-8007 directly. Um, also at 919-754-8644 or at G Masucci, and that's G-M-A-S-U-C-C-I at natldf.com. We're going to take another short break and come back with some paralegal news and announcements. We'll be right back. Introducing Westlaw Deposition Services. Our team will arrange the deposition logistics for you anywhere in the world. Our court reporters are certified live note reporters, making them the very best real-time reporters available. Our professional video production team produces trial-ready video, digitized and synced to the transcript. Experience the Westlaw Deposition Services difference so you can focus on the essential aspects of your work. To schedule a deposition, call 1-800-548-3668 or visit westlawdepositions.com. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's legaltalknetwork.com. Welcome back, everyone. Lynn, I just wrapped up a three-part training series called The Big Billable Hours Breakthrough, How to Turn Your Time into a Billable Hour Goldmine. So today's practice tip has to do with increasing billable hours, something that a lot of legal professionals struggle with. My tip is to record all of your time 
whether it's billable, administrative, pro bono, whatever it is, record it. That takes away the issue of making the decision whether to enter the time or not. You simply enter everything so you have a good record of the kind of work you're doing, and you um, don't lose any of your time that way. And Lynn, do you have a social media tip? I do. Today's social media tip is to Facebook or not to Facebook. Uh, despite recent controversy over privacy issues, I still think that Facebook is great for professional networking and building friendship and community with other legal professionals, especially those that you don't get to see very often. So why am I not quitting Facebook? Because there seems to be a lot of blog posts and articles about that. It's because I've never assumed that anything that I posted on Facebook was private. And when people ask me about using it, I tell them, don't post anything that you wouldn't share with your colleagues or your mom. And don't post sensitive information like your full date of birth, your address, or your telephone number. Check your privacy settings and be careful about who you friend, but always assume that anything you post can be seen by anybody. But I'm going to continue to enjoy Facebook and my many paralegal friends. That's all the time we have today for the Paralegal Voice. Don't forget to check out the show notes on our blogs. Lynn is at practicalparalegalism.com and Vicki is at paralegalmentor.com. This is Vicki Voison. And this is Lynn DeVenny, thanking you all for joining us today and reminding you to make your paralegal voice heard. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Paralegal Voice with Linda Venny and Vicki Voison. This podcast is produced by the Legal Talk Network. Be sure to get the next edition of the podcast. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.